am I going to do, quit? That's not an option. You got to keep on keeping on. Life's a garden, dig it? You make it work for you. You never give up, man. That's my philosophy. Hello, everyone. Uh, my name is Jake Richardson, and I'm the host of uh, Legendary Mindset. This is the first ever episode ever recorded of uh, this new podcast uh, we, we've got going on. Uh, my friend Kenan Brown, uh, he runs his own podcast, the show. He's had it for about a year or two now and, and does a really good job. About you know, around Christmas time, uh, he had me on his podcast, and, and, we, and it went really, went really well. We became good friends and, and kind of been talking about uh, some of this stuff ever since. And when he approached me with the idea of uh, you know, establishing a, a larger media platform and, and opening up some more podcasts, you know, I, I jumped right on it, and it was something I was really excited to do. Um, and, and, you know, we've kind of been discussing and, and getting everything together and, and I've been really excited about this first interview and I knew I had to get someone good and someone who could definitely tell a story and, and paint a really cool picture. And, uh, you know, I was been helping, you know, clipping picture for some people and I, and I was at David Garrett's helping them with their online dough sale and, you know, they said, hey, David, you want to, uh, you want, you ever heard of a podcast before? And he was like, I've heard of them, but uh, I never listened to one. I was like, well, do you want to be on one? And he just kind of laughed, and, uh, and we, you know, gradually kind of talked him into it. And I and I knew he would be good. Uh, this guy's been in the industry forever, and he, you know, is a legend. He made a name for himself uh, f from having no livestock experience in his younger years to being one of the guys that everybody in the showgirl world definitely knows about. Uh, he's was there in the early stages of uh, shrink show lambs, and and took over and turned it into uh, Shrink Show Goats, what it is today, an extremely successful firm uh, located there in Brownwood, Texas. Uh, David Garrett's got some crazy stories and, and in a really, you know, a cool life. Uh, he raises those show goats there in, in Brownwood with his wife, Terry, and his daughter, Sam, and, and Ashley, and uh, they really, you know, do a great job uh, making good livestock. So uh, I'll quit talking now and, and we'll dive right into the podcast. This is David Garrett. Legendary Mindset with Jake P. David, where'd you uh, where'd you grow up? I think Waco, Texas is kind of the area you grew up. Home? Yeah, just slightly east, a little small community, Mart, Texas, which no one knows of unless you followed high school football. Then then you're familiar. They have a really good high school football team. Unreal, unreal. Still to this day, or was it? Still to this day, three then? three times. Last three years, state champs. Back in my day, uh, I think they've won eight or nine state championships. Uh, be Division 2A now, but uh, definitely um, pretty well a dynasty there. If you've followed high school football, you're familiar with the Mark Panthers. So when you were um, growing up in school, did you do a lot of sports? And I did. I, that's pretty well all I ever thought about. Livestock, not not even um, in in the in the picture. My my family um, certainly did not own land or animals and. And um, I, I just basically played sports and went to school and and uh, actually laughed. I had a few friends that showed sheep and cattle and and I, I found it humorous uh, in a derogatory way. So if you know someone would have walked up to ten-year-old David Garrett and said, "Hey, when you're middle age, you're going to be raising livestock for a living and you're going to love it," would you would you <laughs> laugh at him? I was definitely voted least likely to uh, be a livestock producer. Really? For sure. So what was your like path at that point in your life? What were you going to be, what um, was your goal? 
You know, probably my path was to, um, I never aspired to, I was, golf was my sport that I got, you know, was really good at, was able to travel around the country as a youngster and play at state and national level tournaments. I, I never really had dreams of playing professionally, but I definitely wanted to, you know, get a scholarship and and uh, help get my school paid for and and probably saw myself as an accountant or you know just working um, you know somewhere in the in the corporate world and in, in you know in some form of business so not uh, you know grew up country wore wore you know wranglers and boots and and you know but never never ever considered um, livestock was just you know just the furthest thing from my mind. Yeah. So, what was your first kind of take at livestock? The first time you really well, my, my first my, my first takes at it were is you know when we got fourteen or fifteen years old and started driving a little bit and needing a little gas money. You know, we were trying to hustle and find some ways to make a little spending money and and um, and you know fell in there on a hay hauling crew and and hauled hay you know with with a lot of my friends and. And uh, we had a lot of fun doing it. It was a lot of work, but uh, I think we were making uh, a nickel a bale, and I just loved it. But that's that's my start, and and uh, and I had you know a few friends that had cattle, and and I you know we I would help them work them as far as you know just giving shots and stuff. Never any horseback or anything like that. Just just kind of being just labor. Just labor. Yeah, just to make some money. So, what was college like? Where'd you end up for college, and what was? What I went. Was that like I for went you? to East Texas State, which is now Texas A&M Commerce. Um, studied uh, personnel or human resource management with a minor in speech, and uh, wound up working at a at a big turkey plant in Waco. Is uh, started out down in the plant, and then wound up being the training coordinator, and uh, traveled. They had employees all over the U.S. and Traveled all around doing all sorts of training um, and uh, did that for seven or eight years. You know, worked in the poultry industry, long so that story was short. Directly in ag? Yes, def that was directly in ag. And still at that point, uh, absolutely never went to a stock show, uh, didn't understand those that did, you mm -hmm. know, just totally not, not something, even part of your world. not even part of my world, 100%. So I know your wife is what got you into it. Um, so when did you and, and your wife Terry meet? Um, I graduated college um, in '87, and um, she—I uh, think I met her in '90, late '1990 or early '1991—and uh, her her dad actually owned several turkey farms and was a contract grower there for the company that I worked for. And I got to know Galen Schrunk, which is where our, you know, our name came from. And um, he had a real passion for raising sheep at the time. And my wife showed growing up and her brother showed. And so um, that was my first introduction to it. And, and I would, with dating her, I would come up on the weekends and, and they would laugh at me, you know, cause I, I couldn't figure out how to, you know, where to be when we were trying to drive them. I'd get in front of them. You know, I was pretty well the laughing stock. I, I had a lot of try in me, but not much skill. And, and uh, that was my first introduction to that. He 
he had a big set of fine wool ewes that, that uh, those familiar came from Buell Clark, who is kind of the OG of the fine wool uh, breed and, and uh, just, just pasture bred them and, and, and lambed them and, and uh, fortunately enough was able to compete at a pretty, pretty early stage there. He raised some, some fine wools and a few crosses that were, were winning, you know, some, some classes and breeds at, at the majors. And, and, uh, but I was just, just straight labor, you know, when I would come up on the weekends and, and still didn't per se have any passion for it. A little more interest at that time, but certainly not, you know, in my blood, mm -hmm. sh sh shall we say. Definitely. So Galen raised these show final sheep. So what were the, like, you know, I know we show finals and final crosses in Texas, you know, today, but those were king back then. You know, what, what, what are the differences, like, you know, there to now? Oh, goodness. I, stuff like that. You know, we, we look at the, pa at the pictures, you know, like, like we all have that, you know, we're 15, 20, 30 years into the business, and, and what, what you were so proud of was, was pretty comical. Mm -hmm. um, you know, we were, we were fortunate enough um, to, we always uh, valued, you know, really square loin edges and hips and rumps, and, and, and back, you know, in the early 90s, you know, it was hard to find fine wools and crosses that were, you know, had that good tail set and were real square and level. And um, we were able to, um, to through just a, a point of emphasis, you know, produce some that were really nice there and, 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 and made that a priority in our program. And, and I don't know that we've, we had a, a grand plan that the industry needed this or we were, you know, out on the cutting edge. That's just kind of what we liked and appreciated. And, and, um, and we're able to, uh, to buy, you know, we just, that's kind of our point of emphasis. And, and, and that in itself just kind of separated us there. And uh, bragging just a skosh, and um, there were 13 years there in a row where we had uh, multiple breed and reserve champions at our majors in Texas. It's most folks now know us for the goats, but we definitely, you know, made a strong mark there in the sheep world and, and um, was able to get hooked up with uh, Steve Sturtz, who most are familiar with through his judging, and, and he raises some goats on his own. And, and Steve took me all over the country and, and showed me, you know, the difference mainly in black sheep, and, and we were able to buy some real high-end bucks that really came back in and kind of gave our, our crosses in particular a little bit more of a show look. Back in the day, they were a little shoulder, more thicker shouldered, a little plainer sided, and, and ours had a little bit, you know, better look to them, and, and, and we're still real square hipped, and we were, we were able for, for, like I said, 13 years in a row, we had multiple breeder reserve champion fine wool and fine wool crosses. And then we decided we wanted to try to raise some, some medium wools as well. And that took quite a bit longer, you know, to reach the, the plateau, but we did eventually get there. We were, we were, we were fortunate enough to, to win all of our majors here. And, and I can't even remember it. it. At one time, I know we had hung banners in 20 different states with our sheep. Um, and that's, and uh, that's crazy because, like, people who are just, you know, recently in this industry don't even know Shrank Showlambs was 
you know, oh, for sure. Thing, it's I, like, you mean show goats? Yeah. You know, I, I get a kick out of it. I, I, and fortunately, you know, I've, I've been asked to judge, you know, a few county fairs and stuff here and there and judge their sheep. And I, I really enjoy that and, and getting out and, and kind of trying to stay current and keep up with, with the industry. And, and I still value the thing, same things I always did. I like, I like top shape. I like real, I like loin edge integrity and, and square hips. I'm, I'm not as particular as some about shoulders and, and you know, just shallowness up through there because mm -hmm. my opinion, good livestock, you know, is stout and square and muscular. And to me, if we start, you know, getting overly emphasized some of that front third, we'll, we're going to sacrifice, and that's strictly my opinion. Yeah, uh, I mean, that's don't, – don't, don't follow. <laughs> <laughs> For sure. So you met, you met your wife, no livestock experience. And then you married into the family and gradually started, you know, kind of yeah, running the I, show. How, what kind of, what was the turning point to where you were like, okay, I can do this. You know, you, this is what I you want know, to do. it was, it was, um, I was 30 years old when, when all that happened 25 years ago. And, and it wasn't an epiphany or some light came on. I, I have always been the kind of person that, you know, I, I wanted to learn on my own and, 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 you know, probably, you know, mistakenly, you know, had the confidence to, to you know, sink or swim. And, and, and when Steve would take me and we would go look at animals, I would always ask him to, you know, I didn't want him to show his hand. I didn't want him to say anything. I wanted to go and look and do. In fact, a lot of times we would go to farms and, and there would be, you know, multiple pens of lambs, and I would take off and go in opposite direction of him and then take my notes, you know, and go through, you know, several hundred, and then we would meet back up, and and it was awful. Um, <laughs> early on, for sure, the fat, the fat, bloomy one was always, you know, my choice, and and then, uh, and, and he would laugh at me, and, and uh, but what, what really kind of made me feel like I, I was learning is is we had a few hundred fine wolves and we bought a, another 120 140 blackface ewes from one of the top guys at the time was Joe Harold and Joe's still going strong and raising some super animals and uh, and but um, I, uh, I I I we lambed them I we ran them through jugs. We were the only guys running the fine wolves and crosses through lambing jugs. And so I was able to, you know, be present when we paired them. Uh, and I had no vote on any of that. Uh, and I didn't need one because I wasn't, you know, skilled enough to do it. And then we, we lambed them, brought them through the jugs. And I saw them, you know, at, at, you know, all the way through. And then when we worked tails and band and castrated, you know, we saw them again. And then, you know, we weaned and sheared and, and sold them. And what really taught me was just doing the dirty work. You know, I was in the barn all the time uh, doing, you know, down on my knees, getting the dummies to nurse, you know, grafting, doing, you know, in the barn work and just, and, and I've always had a, a decent memory. Um, and, and, and just remembering, you know, some of those little, that I thought a little of and, and just progressing forward seeing that and then when we sold them and then when when that started I, I, I didn't miss any shows. That, that, that's back in the day when there was 
40, 50 jackpots a year and everybody went. I went to the jackpots, I handed out business cards, I shook people's hands. I just went the longest yard, you know, to try to go out and meet those people. And, and the thing that was the most instrumental there is, is I was able to bond and form some friendships with some of the top, you know, feeders and showmen and those families that, that had that extra desire and, and, and skill level. And they fortunately, you know, stopped by the house and, and were like, you know, hey, I, I think some of these are okay. And, and so they, they purchased some of our animals and, and that taught me real quick, you know, that, that there's a huge value in having the right people, you know, um, hauling those. And if I'm just being real, jumping way ahead, that's probably the thing to me that's been the most significant of all of our success is that we have been been so blessed to have the top, 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 you know, feeders um, come through and, and, and purchase weathers and, and exhibit them from our program. And, and um, it, it just makes a world of difference, you know, Definitely. for sure. Those families that try the hardest and work the hardest. And, and not, not all of it. them, you know, spending the most money. Some of them just very skilled and passionate with moderate budgets. They're going to do us a good. fantastic job as well. Yeah. yeah. So let's let's talk more about sh uh, Shrunk Show Lambs. So you you start to get the hang of it. Steve, you know, gives you a bunch of pointers and, and teaches you. And you know, kind of like you were saying, the school of hard knocks. You kind of started to figure it out. You know, through you know the nose on the grindstone and, and working and sweating. Where so you started to take, you know, get a little bit of respect for yourself and and getting the hang of it. Where do you guys start raising these blacks, and kind of how do you come into that to make those you well, know, thing? Well, the respect is was 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 a, a little funny to me. I, I don't have a burr under my saddle about it. I've always been a very realist, but a lot of the industry experts, you know, uh, my father-in-law Galen Shrunk is you know hardworking, great businessman, and and was was you know been blessed financially with with a lot of his endeavors, and I was kind of viewed as you know the the lap dog or or the one that just had to keep the the wife happy and and galen would would see it all through and and i found that extremely humorous because anybody that knew galen at all knew that if you could not hold it down that you were out <laughs> mm -hmm. and he, he wasn't going to tolerate any of that and i used to laugh because there was a mumblings in the barn you know and i and i was you know to say that i was a village idiot is certainly not far off but, but as we progressed, you know, and I think back upon it, um, there are just a few animals in my life that, 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 and I don't know if it was divine intervention, blind luck, or, or what, but there's just a few animals in my life that I just, that I saw that just, just had an impact on me just, just unbelievably. And, and one of them was, was a buck that we, that, that we, that we, that Joe Harrell raised and, and we called him Tahoe, and I remember we 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 stopped by his place, and he was probably 45 days old, and that little guy just ran. He his mom and him it was raining. His mom and him were up under the barn, and that and and that little guy ran out from under that barn, and I'll never forget my jaw just dropped. It was just unbelievable. Like that animal was so special, just his length of body, and at that time. You know, he was super big barreled and round and really square. He was just a, a way throwback, you know, way, way, way ahead of his time. And his mother was extremely powerful and special as well. And, and Joe had marked him to keep. 
and I just drove him crazy for probably three weeks, and finally he agreed to sell me half of him when uh, – and, and at that time, we paid 5000 for half, which was just absurd because, you know, you could buy all – they, they were 2500 around. That was a ton know. back then. Oh, that was a ton. Of, yeah, that was a ton. Sure. And so we got Tahoe in here, and we we pinbred him. And as a buck kid, he he, 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 he covered 100 and a little over 100 ewes, which is just unbelievable yeah. for one that size. And – he he put us in the game in, in the blackface deal. Um, just just unreal. We went from just a virtually unknown. Uh, I remember we went to the Fall Classic that year, and we had they we were known for some fine wolves and crosses, but uh, as we all know, those West Texas boys that haul those good ones, they don't jackpot much. So uh, we went and we won like three or four classes. At the, at the Fall Classic, uh, not the Fall Classic, the uh, Belt Buckle, Bonanza, mm -hmm. in July there. And I remember just being on Cloud Nine, and all of those were out of Tahoe. And uh, and he worked unbelievably well in, in the crosses as well. And we were fortunate enough to have that guy for about four years. And, and he just was one of those unbelievable, you could breed him to anyone, any kind, didn't matter. He made them all better, and if the ewes were fantastic, well, then the you know the weathers were, and his females worked for us, and he was just our first you know game changers, what I call it. There's been a few of them around, and I think any of the old timers out there, scary to say that I'm that guy now, but they they're familiar with that Tahoe and and what he did for the industry, and more particular our program, just phenomenal animal, yeah. and what he did for us, and then. The other one was was um, uh, kind of where where I chose to to go and pursue animals was was Joe Harrell and the Cabinets family there. You know, they're about ninety miles apart up in the central Oklahoma, and I would go up there and 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 uh, spend you know make four or five trips to spring up and spend all day doing it and. And uh, Joe, pretty much a straight Suffolk breeder, and, and the Cadmus family, you know, uh, industry royalty, both those families there, what they've done, and 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 hat breeders, and and uh, and uh, for those of you who've been to Cadmus, you know the, the 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 big pile of them you would have to go through, and be hundreds of lambs, and and uh, anyway, just randomly, uh, I see this lamb in there, and it's it's another one of those OMG moments, and. And I, I just go just go ballistic over him and find him and I'm I'm I, I, I spoke for him and Riley and me went in to, got on the computer and pulled it up and lo and behold they had sold him uh, to Dale Shote and uh, and so anyway I, I knew Dale a little bit and called Dale on the phone and asked about buying part of him or whatever and. He had informed me that his daughter was a senior and they were going to cut this guy. And I was just beside myself. I just, Yeah, I begged him, like, please don't cut that one, you know, I'll pay you. And at that time, there were 3,500. They'd gone up about 1,000. And I think I offered him five or 75 even for half. And he, he told me they were going to cut him. And I said, well, just promise if you don't, you know, you'll let me know. And he called me back and said that they didn't cut him. 
that they that a friend of his that that raised him, Brad Smith, uh, was had was going to take him and. Actually, I think he had bought him for Brad's daughter. Let me correct myself, not Dale's daughter. Brad's uh, – Seely showed, who's still in the sheep business. She had graduated, and Brad's daughter was going to show him as a weather. So Brad decided to keep him for a buck. So <clears throat> the next year, I immediately went up, met Brad, went through all the stock, and 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 uh, tried to, you know, find a son or two out of him. And, and a couple that I liked were already sold, and, and um, I, I – I just gave Brad a not a blank check, but just said, "Hey, anytime you're wanting to sell this guy, you call me." And um, the the very next year, I'd I'd made a big run to go look at, in the fall to look at quite a few of of our lambs, and uh, several of the places that I stopped by, they also had some Caesar babies in there. That was that's what they named the buck, and and. Uh, I was proud of our lambs, but the Caesars were were clearly, you know, a little different level, and so I, you know, I, 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 I um, not, not, you know, arrogant enough to say I knew those would win, but I knew they would be close enough to see the winner, and uh, lo and behold, you know, they 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 did win a lot, and 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 um, and shortly after that. Uh, Brad had called me and offered me a a, a chance to, to to buy Caesar. Uh, so what point of the year was this? And was this 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 was early spring? That was so they had this. Shown this would have been you know November when I made the run mm-hmm. into breeding season, and he called me somewhere there early middle of Feb, mm-hmm. and I guess he um, some some business situations required that he. He sell, and I think a, a divorce was part of the, the process as well. And so, uh, you know, just hallelujah that I stayed with it and, and saw the buck and loved him. And, and uh, but he priced him at 15000 And at that time, you know, that was two, 2X, yeah, you know, dumb. the market deal. But I'd, I loved him. I'd seen babies out of him. And um, I called a good friend of mine up in Iowa, Brad Dale. And so Brad and I uh, decided we would partner him and buy him, and Brad would get to use him for January and mid, up through mid-Feb, mm-hmm. and then I would get late Feb's March, you know, and March and April's step. out of him. So it worked out fantastically. And then I, 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 had, I had seen those lambs and was familiar that they were going to do good, and um, I was had a concern that, that you know, if they hung some banners, that Brad might change his mind uh, on the price and/or just the the sale. So this was before. So after this, San Antonio. This was Angelica. this was this was right right between San Antonio and Houston. Okay. And so I I uh, I call Brad and uh, ask him if I can come pick the buck up. I had already sent a 50% deposit and. The agreement was we'd pay the other 50%, you know, on delivery. And um, it had rained a lot in spring, naturally it does, and said we couldn't, you know, have a hard time driving in there where he was. And and so I just had this, 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 this true gut feeling that, you know, that the deal might fall through. So I literally make a story up and tell him that I was going to be in that area 
and uh, that I need to pick, you know, just for convenience matter, can he accommodate me and, and let me pick up Caesar? And it coincidentally, it, it happened to be on the same day of the Houston stock show. Hmm. And I had not missed, you know, I'd been to that show for 10 years in a row, and we had some animals that were in contention to win. In fact, that year we had reserve fine wool and champion cross. And so um, I decided to stay home and uh, go pick the buck up. And Brad had agreed to meet me. Well, my wife and father-in-law, Galen, Galen Shrunk, they, they all went to the show. And we come, there's six classes of blacks at that time. Too much information, but it's relevant to the story. Galen calls me and goes, hey, we just won class two, really nice sheep, whatever, whatever. And and I'm like, oh, okay. And then so class three's over. He calls me, and, and of course, I'm on my way to go pick Caesar up. He has no idea that I purchased him. And he goes, hey, this, this, this third class lamb wins. And he said, man, the judge, this is a good one, said, some, some breeder named Brad Smith up in the panhandle raised him. He's a Caesar son. So I, don't, I still don't tell my father-in-law that I'm going to pick Caesar up. So I'm just driving down the road. It's six hours north of us to go up there. So it's a, it's a pretty good little trek. And so class four goes, and he goes, man, I, this Caesar just sired this one and said, if he don't win, the judge is going to look stupid because he's just raving about how good this lamb is. And You're just sitting there with a big old smile on your face. And, and I'm, I'm just <laughs> grinning all the way, and I still don't let him know that I've that we own the buck. And then we won class five. So basically it's us, uh, Brad Smith, Caesar, Brad Smith, Caesar, and then Brad, we win class five, and then another Caesar lamb wins class six. And he calls me. You're bouncing around your Oh, I'm car. just, I'm, and by this time, I've already got him in the truck loaded. And it's kind of crazy. He's is so muddy and nasty in there. But he was halter broke, and we put him on a halter and literally walked him a mile through the mud to, to get him in my trailer. Was it worth it? Uh, yeah, it was <laughs> worth it. And then, and then he picks class four and six, those both those Caesars for Grand and Reserve. And coincidentally, I had seen those lambs. That was Jim Bob McNeil from, just throw a little love his way from out at, uh, uh, out around Midland, and then Joel Lanier uh, from from out around Seminole, and they were two of the you know toughies during that time. But they were grand in reserve with those Caesars. And my father-in-law calls me and says, "Hey man, we need to we need to go see this Brad Smith and see about getting this Caesar." And I still do not tell him. Uh, and so I got home I at I, six I or seven o'clock, and I unload him in the pen. And and for those who ever saw him, you know, by the time I got him, I think he was three, and and he looked like a a 220 pound weather. He was just a a real freak of nature, you know. At that time, today's world, he didn't have enough bone and shag, and didn't have enough turn in his rib. But he was really up fronted, handled unreal, great skin, great loin edges, big hip and rump. He was just a really unique animal, and uh, like I said, he looked like a big weather. And so I just unloaded him. Well, they drove all the way back from Houston that night, and the next morning my father-in-law was an early riser. He got up to feed. Well, he's blowing my phone up at 7 asking me what the heck the buck that's in the pen there is, and that's when I let him in on the deal that we own Caesar. So 
pretty cool story. Uh, just a freak deal where I saw that guy little and just loved him to death and, and just stayed, did my due diligence and, and finally wind up owning him. And we bred the, the brakes off that guy and produced multiple winners all over the country out of him. And, and his females did us a fantastic job. And, and he was just, uh, you know, one of those difference makers. And, and we were so fortunate to have him. And, and uh, you know, one of the things, just being brutally honest, we raised a, a lot of winning weathers. And for anybody that listens, you know, from back in that era, you know that's the truth. And, but I never did ever raise a, a stud buck, you know, that ever really produced. And that's kind of, I've got regrets about that, but we were fortunate enough to find and buy two of the best that ever was. And, and, and you know, b big love to the Cabinets family. And, and they raised several others besides Caesar, as well as did Joe Harrell. But those two just just did us a fantastic job and, and took our program to the, you know, just a, another stratosphere pretty well. So how'd you use those bucks? Did you just line them up like crazy? Or? You know, we didn't. Uh, the, um, the thing that we did with them was we, we uh, the, the Caesar buck was out of that 118 line of cabinets which those were known for, for lots of muscle shape, hard handle, a little more crossbred looking type sheep in today's world. They were hamps, but they were not really shagged up, but they just had that great skin and touch. And to me, you don't get a lot of shag with that anyway, but um, they, it, was lined, it was real lined up. And then Joe's sheep were real lined up. And we took those two guys and, and, um, and, and basically I took took lime bread hamp and bred them to lime bread Suffolk and vice versa. And there was no, I can't take any of the credit for acting like, you know, I, I schemed all that up genetically. We just went to some of the top breeders. We loved those particular lines. We bought them and we're just blessed that when we meshed them that they really worked. Uh, the Harold the sheep at that time had a lot more lower third in their leg and, and uh, and, um, and, and the cabinet sheep were, were super good looking, stood up off the ground, had great tops and loin edges. But for my personal taste, most of them could have had a little more lower third. And, and you know, I think most would That's agree with that. And so that cross just kind of was the best of two worlds. And we raised uh, champion at Houston, champion at Fort Worth, two reserves at Austin, couple of Denver champs. And all of that was basically crossing that old Reno um, line that Joe had raised in that in that 118 line from the Cabinets family. And one thing that was kind of really interesting, and once again, kind of got to go to the archives for this, but there was a, um, a, a, a lady named Barbara Garvey uh, that, that Chad Charmanson kind of, when Chad was in high school, they, they really meshed up and, and did a lot of good. I think Chad showed some of those sheep and fed them, and then when he moved on, and, and I got to talking to Barbara, you know, four or five years later, and she was doing the do opposite of us, and all those animals were, uh, were, that, were, were the same deal, where we had the, the 118 line, the buck, going back to the Joe Harrell. She had, uh, I think that, uh, she had a buck called Scout uh, that was incredible, and she bought a lot of Cabinets ewes and was using uh, I think her buck actually didn't come from Joe Harrell. He came from Larry Shell, but Larry and Joe did a lot of partnering and stuff. But it was an identical. They those sheep were 
I don't want to say winning every show, but they were certainly winning lots of them. And, and Barbara Garvey's program was, was taking the same female line, taking the cabinist female line, breeding it to the Herald Bucks, that I was breeding the, the cabinist bucks to the Herald to the Herald lines, and and those were were just just unbelievable. And there was a another gentleman named Anashot that had some incredible lambs, uh, you know, during that run also. That was an extension of the Garvey program, and and he was doing exactly the same thing. And and so kind kind of neat, you know, a few years down the road to back up and and put all that together. Yeah. Um, so how is like the, you know, you described the whole you know blackface game how it was back then, compared to today, like how much has it just completely changed? Like with AI and you know even exercise programs. And you know, for, just how for, people do it. For me, the the thing is, you know, is is any any of the industries, the the hog and the the cattle guy, you know, for me were, they were ahead of the program as far as the amount of, of semen they sold and everybody learned early on to, to take those top boars and those top, you know, uh, bulls and and collect them and AI and, and uh, you know, sold lots of semen, sold it freely, used it as a source of an income, didn't covet or feel like they needed to, you know, keep their edge mm-hmm. that way. And, uh, and, and they moved their species, you know, forward really fast and, and uh, and and did great. Uh, uh, you know, back in the you know the 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 late '80s, early '90s, even on in the mid '90s, you know, there were just a few of us doing any AI work at all, and and a lot of us were using some of our old bucks that that had died that you know probably shouldn't have been used, but there was not opportunities to stop by top breeders and and you know and buy any semen for any amount of money most of them didn't even have any of it stored uh which is just you know in the world we're in today is psycho so um if you were fortunate enough to to make the rounds and find you know one of those game changers well well you in a few years you know you could step you know separate yourself you know pretty quick like just just on with you know just because of that so that that to me is is just changed so drastically with you know all the fresh jumps and the AI work and and I think it's just wonderful they're they're all God's creations anyway they're not ours and 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 uh, you know just try to improve everybody's animals and move them forward and and I think the sheep and goats have have moved forward exponentially you know and the, you know just just the biggest difference for me is is we went from from just really focusing up high to trying to get those tops true and those edges square and those loins and and those tail sets really high and up and and uh, and and uh, you know we wanted them sound and moving but there wasn't near the emphasis in foot size and and bone structure and shag and and uh, and so we were you know we were putting a lot more emphasis on what's high and don't get me wrong not not all breeders were there were a lot of them that wanted them to prop up from the side and 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 then and then there was a group of them that really you know wanted wanted them to get more turn in their rib and not be so flat and uh, that would have been probably you know to me I I don't want to like age it or and just don't want to be ignorant but you know I'm saying you know if you if you broke it up in 10 years if you said you know, late 90s, 
you know, early 2000s, uh, you know, eight, it seems like, you know, ever ever eight to ten years we're, we're, we're taking, you know, the, the animals just from where we were are just exponentially different. And for me now, I, I, the, the foot size and, and just the, the, the hemp breed trait that these things have now to me is, is, is clear and obvious. But the thing to me that's, that's just, just epic, epically difference is, you know, when you stand, you stand up over the animal and, and just look at the width of the barrel. You can call it rib shape or whatever, however you, you know, want to categorize it. But for me, the, just the barrel shape on these, on these sheep today is just incredible. Mm -hmm. And it's, it's, it's really incredible, too, that when you stand off to the side of them, the, you know, how all of them from their flank moving forward, you know, they, they get shallower. And I think at one time we might have been a little obsessed with just the depth from the top of the blades to the heart up through the front third, just wanting that to be too shallow. Mm -hmm. But now, you know, they, they all get, get, get shallower from back to front. But it's just, to me, it's fun. And, and I really appreciate, you know, the opportunities I get to judge in particular I always go you know, when, we, when we're at the goat shows, I always go watch the, the sheep drives and just to stand up over those animals yeah. and just to see how phenomenal those are. And, and, and there's a group of guys, um, not familiar with all of them, not going to call any names, to me that have a genetic edge where they have, they have favored that. They've, it's, it's been a point of emphasis for them for years, and, and everybody you know, else is trying to hurry up and catch up. And it's very much the same way in the goat world mm -hmm. as well. You know, so those, those big ones are. Let's talk about genetics for a second. So everyone's kind of got you know, their different philosophy, and you've been doing it for a while. So obviously what you're doing is working and, and stuff. But do you take the approach of breeding genotypes to similar genotypes and lining up what you like and, and going off that? Or are you just phenotype, breed this kind of this kind and fix issues and not really mind on if they're related or not? I would say that 100% all of it, um, I, I have always been less infatuated with, with blood work uh, not scrapey or dwarf or, <laughs> or spider, yeah. but just the just the the the, pedigrees. the the blood work. Yeah, just the, the pedigrees. I think they're very important, um, just because there there's some pedigrees for me that are that that and what and what a pedigree is to me is it's just five to eight years of of a particular a breeder that has a real passion for 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 feet and legs that like structure that likes them to be shallow, that likes them to be, you know, up front and likes their, where, where they have bred that and, and bred that and bred that in there. And, and it's, you know, there's some predictability there coming mm -hmm. out of that. I think it's important to me that part of it. But I also think there has to be a, a visual inspection uh, of the animal as well. And, and, and my theory's always been is, you know, not that I knew what I was looking at, <laughs> but let me look and and let me see the animals and i'm going to hand you my list and then you can tell me you how know tell me how they're bred and how they're lined up and i want to go see mama yeah. as well and so i've, I've always been one and, and and to me if if you do your research and you go there are lines certain bloodlines that have uh, you know they just have the capability if you're needing something 
you know, to really shallow them up and level them out and still maintain, you know, some muscle shape. There's a set of breeders around, and, and thank goodness there are, that have that really appreciate that. You know, Brad Dale's a, a good friend of mine that he always, you know, favored that. And Stitch Line up in Ohio, he always liked a real up-fronted, you know, nice-looking sheep. Just There's just been different points of emphasis. And for me, I've, you know, always been a little bit of a Ray Charles, let's, let's grab them and, yeah, you know, want them to be big, big racked and square and have real shape in them. And for me, I think you need to know those different genetic lines and know what they're capable of. But for me, uh, more in particular, since we've been doing all the flushing and the AI, and we've, we've had, you know, some lots of flush sisters and whatever that, you know, just did not look the part. Um, you know, were a little shallow or a little freakier, didn't have as much, you know, density or, or muscle mm-hmm. or whatever. And I, I held on to, we've all held on to some of those and, and tried them. And, and I don't want to say there's not exceptions. And, and it's, you know, it's not worth the debate with anybody, not because I'm right. But your, I'm sure there's know. exceptions. But most of, most of the ones that, that I've been around personally in, in, in my two species knowledge and, and traveling, if 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 they don't if if they don't visually exhibit those traits, um, it's not likely that you know their offspring will either. Yeah. And so I, I just think that the 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 focus and emphasis on that, and and once again, there's a group of guys that has just you know really been true to that and and valued that, and and as we've as as the industry's transitioned. Uh, I think that was a logical step to still make them balanced, to still make them look good from the side, but let's open them up and put more center body in them. There's, it just helps with, with all the females, makes them more productive, makes them easier keepers. Yeah. It's, to me, it's, it's a wonderful, it's right up my alley. Mm-hmm. Not, and uh, and uh, so that to me and is in the fact that to specifically the things that have changed it, I think that the type of animal that's winning now is is, is is vastly improved and the other thing is I just think with with the sharing of genetics where you can purchase semen and all of the flushing and stuff you know we're just expediting and moving thing forward and as we all know that have done it it's this the the flush programs if they if they went better uh, and we were able to multiply those special ones <laughs> a little more easily, uh, we, we would have more of and even a, a better version of what we have now. Yeah, but unfortunately, Mother Nature um, has a vote. <laughs> She's not letting us do that quite yet. So um, we've talked a lot about sheep, and people today you know, really don't quite know you for sheep, as they probably should. But let's kind of start talking about where the goats came in. I understand it was a, you guys sold out in the sheep and then decided kind of, you know, a God thing, I guess, or, or what would you call it, but ended up with the goats. So let's well, talk about that. L- long story short, um, we saw that there was a tremendous interest in the goats. In fact, early on, there were not even sales, I think, at San Antonio in Houston mm-hmm. and uh, maybe even Fort Worth. And What and, year was this? Oh, Jake, I'm... I don't want to show my ignorance or age on that. It's it had to be it had to be 15, 12 to 15 years ago, okay. somewhere in there. Because I know at our county fair, we didn't have we've only this year was our 11th or 12th goat show we've ever had at our county fair. Mm-hmm. They were showing the goats, 
but they did it more like a, a, a part of the breeding shows where they were basically just giving ribbons and trophies mm -hmm. and maybe I think they might have given a scholarship but, no there. Market but show. there was no market yeah, show no there was sale. no premium sale anywhere and I just kept thinking damn you know th these people are, are buying these weathers up and and not ridiculous money but good money and we don't even have a, sh a, a sh you know a sale for them and and eventually th that's going to fall into place and it's going to get crazy and and got that one right. <laughs> yeah. So um, Good call. <laughs> we we reached out and I started looking around for some for some goats, and most of the people that I that I went and looked at and and um, please don't hate me for this, but they were full blood breeders, and I just did not appreciate those animals. They were deep sided. They were real. Their shoulder blades were real active. And but these were the early days of the. These, goat. these were the these early were, days. These were still it South was just, African goats, just right? more of a commercial. Just yeah. the bigger, the more girth, just more of a commercial yeah. type deal. And they were, you know, they had their own form and were doing great with them. But I, I just did not like them. And for me, I'm just the kind that no matter what if i'm not going to go to the barn and spend my time and do the work if i if i really don't appreciate yeah. the you've animal been, you've been raising show lambs and full blood does look nothing like oh black yeah show they were so they were so we went kind of and looked and looked and looked and we just could not i just couldn't find any and and my father-in-law and i talked for several years about getting into the business and finally i jumped out off there and bought me a four five spanish nannies that were bred to a uh, South African boar and uh, got in at 100% the wrong time, uh, but got lined up with the right guy. And luckily I got doe kids out of all of them and those half-blood doe kids still had some value. And I got out of that deal with, with my shirt, <laughs> not my pants or my, <laughs> or my socks. But uh, that wasn't horrible. And um, so, um, Finally, um, we were we were doing well with the sheep. Justin Jonas, and uh, who's a sheep breeder as we speak, and Glenn Hutto, one of the top goat guys, they were partners on some um, some some fine wool ewes, raising some crosses, and we were still, you know, that's when we were winning a lot of the cross shows. Mm -hmm. And uh, Glenn called me one day out of the blue and said, "Hey, I know you raised some good sheep." Um, We've had a buck die, and we got about 40 ewes here that we need to get bred for some late lambs. Uh, would you consider leasing us a buck or, or selling us a buck or whatever? And I said, man, I, I, I knew Glenn from the goat deal, and at that time him and Mike Kelly were, were, were the top. And uh, I said, Glenn, I just don't have anything that I'd say you that was respectable, you know. Mm -hmm. I said, but I've got a couple of bucks that I don't have loaded, and I've got room for 15 or 20 head with each one of them. Why don't you just bring them over here? And this is hilarious now, but I think I charged him 100 bucks a head, including feed, <laughs> to breed them. And so he brought them over, and we ran them down the chute, sorted them. He looked at the bucks. We dropped them off. And then when it came time to pick them up, just randomly I happened to be needing to go out that way for something, and and I said, hey, I'm coming that way, Glenn. I'll just bring your ewes. And he said, man, you don't have to do that. And I was like, hey, I'm coming. He's like, hey, I'll pay you. I'll, you know, when I pay you, I'll give you a little extra money for hauling them or whatever. And I said, that's fine. So I went and just randomly, that was a day that he was flushing goats. Mm -hmm. 
and he had 10 or 12 of his donors right there in the pen. The vet was there, and I walked up to that pen, and I was like, hey, hey, hey. This is what, this this is what a goat's supposed to look like right here. So took off, headed home, called my father-in-law just ecstatic and said, hey, I found some goats. These things look like sheep. They're special. We need to get tied in. So I called Glenn back, got first on the list to come back the next year and buy doe kids. And, and, uh, and then so we did that and then bought, a, bought the auctioneer Mark Tillman. Mark had been working with Powell Holman, and they were, they were full-blood breeder, but they had a couple of weather-type bucks, one called Bingo that had a giant impact on our industry, mainly as females. But Mark was, was friends with them, and uh, so I was able to, to – uh, we bought Mark out, and then we worked with Glenn, and then, uh, and then Tommy Morris, who raised that Morris 66, who was – he was the daddy of Hutto's Festus and all those – several of Glenn's good ones – um, Tommy sold a big group of bread does, and we went and bought 30 or 20 or 30 of them, and we raised uh, two reserve divisions and two state fair winners out of those goats, and we didn't breed a one of them. We just bought the bread does and, and put year. that together. First year. We sure did. That's a good way to start. That's, that's a fair way to start. And so we sold – at that time we had about 300 – fine wool ewes and 300 blackface and we we sorted off a hundred of each and ran about 200 goats kind of 600 was our number always that's what our place would accommodate sounds like a pile but for us it was just kind of the norm so 200 goats and 400 sheep and continued that forward and we were we figured out pretty quick that uh, when we the first year when we went to our majors our sheep were were certainly our best ones were right there but our goats you know were just other than those couple we were light years behind those good ones that, that Kelly and, and Hutto were raising I mean it was light years behind them and uh, you know we were we were anxious to try to move forward kind of chased our tail there for two or three years and could not just you know kind of raising the same set raising you know couple 100, 125 weathers a year, two or three of them could compete for classes, maybe a piece of a division. But if they were in class with those good Kellys or Huttos, and those of you that did it at that time, y'all were in the same boat, it was just captain obvious that, you know, you, you were just not in the game. Mm -hmm. And our DNA, you know, just doesn't allow us to not want to be in the game, yeah. you know. And so um, there was another fella, Doug Bean, from out at Ozona, that was raising some really, really special goats. And a lot of people always just said Doug's goats were really small, and he would win those lighter weight divisions everywhere, but they always said they were small. Well, I made a, you know, did my due diligence, called Doug, went to see him, visited with him, got to know him, and figure out that there's a reason they're small. Most of Doug's, he kitted in May and June. So they were young. And they were eight, nine months old. And Doug had super big ribs, super stout, super muscular goats, and uh, really impressive. And, and, and Doug and I formed a, a decent relationship, but I was never able to, uh, to buy any, to ever get a billy goat or anything from him. We bought a few does from him here and there, and they did us a good job. And I think it was the third or fourth year, and the irony there is nobody cares, but we were literally had the discussion 
that we were fixing to breed the same bucks to the same does, and we're knowing at that point in time that we're fixing to have the same crop, mm-hmm. you know. And, and, and it was making some money. We had a few competitive goats, winning, you know, a few county fairs here and there. But, it, you know, when everybody showed up, we just were not in not contention. In and Doug called me in October and said that he thought I had a, he had a buck that I would be interested in. So, boy, we jump in the truck, and we drive 100 miles an hour to Ozona. And we, we walk up, and he had a dozen, 15 little Billy kids. And if you know Doug, and he won't be offended by me saying this, he, Doug kind of raised them rough, you know. And if you couldn't evaluate skinny livestock, you're in trouble because, you know, they were not fluffed on and, and fat and slick and, you know, pretty. And we looked through a dozen or 15, and I just kept trying to convince myself that one was in there, and he just wasn't. And, and I, we just decided we wasn't going to buy one, and I'd been trying to buy one for years, and I'm just like, well, I'm done. Never get a chance to look again. You know, here we are, and no, no chance. And, and he said, well, you sure you're not interested in any of those? And he kind of had a grin on his face, and I said, yes, sir, I'm, I am. I said, I'm sure I'm politically, you know, I'm like, I'm, I'm sure we're probably missing one, but, you know, uh, he's Still not in here. And he said, well, the one I'm talking about is right over here. <laughs> So he kind of played us in, in a good humorous way, and we walked around the corner. And my father-in-law, Galen, we had, we're 20, 30 yards from him, and he goes, we'll take him. <laughs> and Doug goes, well, hallelujah, sure, I'm glad I didn't price him. <laughs> so we got a big kick out of that. He sold us half of the buck. And just like that Tahoe buck, we pinbred that little guy, and he bred us 80 or 90 as a buck kid and just did us a phenomenal job. We call that one 9601 and, and took us. We had some goats that needed, needed some muscle and needed some bigger, you know, bigger, a bigger barrel. And he changed those things overnight and uh, just, just an unbelievable situation. And then we decided to go harder into the goats. I don't remember all the details, might not quite be precise here, but we, I sold about half my sheep the next year and then the following year, um, decided to completely sell out of the sheep business. Sarah uh, Loving Brister bought, bought all my sheep out and has done great, a great job with those things forward. Was that a flock of blackface ewes? Or still that was all. That, by that too? time, we had sold. I sold my last group of fine wool ewes. I, I sold a cow. Mm-hmm. was down to about 40 or 50, and they were all top shelf and I, I sold them to Kyle. Kyle had always let the girls, you know, get in there and get some really choice lambs and I sold Kyle those better twenty or twenty five, mm-hmm. you know, really special ones. Basically we just traded them I think for a weather or two or three. But it was a great deal. He deserved them. I knew he would do yeah. right by them and, and so but we sold the blacks and and I was literally just at the point that I was fixing to call Doug up and a couple of other Hutto and a couple of other top breeders and and tell them, hey, I'd like to step up, maybe you know, buy eight or ten donors. I mean, spend you know significant yeah. money, but but we were going to try to gear up and do the goat deal heavier. And Doug called me and he said he had something on his mind that he wanted to stop by and visit. Out of the blue. Out of the blue. Totally out of the blue. He has no idea I have sold my sheep. None. Now we still had the two hundred goats. But he has no idea that I've sold my sheep, and uh, 
And so he he comes by, and I, to be honest, I thought I'd done something to offend him or something, and he was, you know, telling me he wanted to sell out of our partnership on the buck or whatever, and I was kind of dreading it. And um, I, I still um, get emotional about it. Um, he came by and said that, he, you know, he had daughter, had had, you know, uh, one daughter, and I just had a set of twin. Uh, that's that's Chase and Alexander Moore who are, are making their name in the sheep business these days. That's their 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 dad. Alexander's dad, Doug, is is one of the OGs of the goat deal. Mm -hmm. And uh, anyway, he said that you know wanted to know if I would you know work a deal with him where basically I took 90% of them, and he wanted to keep 12 or 15 of those donors and flush them. And uh, and all the bucks came with the deal, and and uh, I uh, I literally just put my head in my lap, and just the tears just wouldn't quit. I mean, it was just extremely bizarre that that I would just get out of the sheep business. He has no knowledge, and then offers me the opportunity to buy into. To one of the top three flocks in the in the in the country, and ironically, that was about two or three weeks after Hummel had bought Kelly out. That doesn't really happen. Yeah, it's it was just crazy, and 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 we had we had you know partnered on a, on a few bucks, a couple of does. He'd bring some weathers to our sales. I would take some to him. I mean, we had a, a working relationship, mm -hmm. and he just basically thought that that, you know, it was totally my focus. Doug's got quite a few, you know, business entities that he has to see over and that he didn't think he was doing the goats any justice and just knew that I would, you know, basically do the work to tend to him. So, um, you know, he offered me that opportunity and and uh, it was like winning the lottery, you know, if well, you're I talking bet. about the goat business. Because to me, Hutto had, had the neatest set of goats as far as having big bodied, long, growthy, sound ones. They were not quite as, I mean, they had muscle in them, but they were not quite as, as deep twisted and quite as big rack shaped, but built right. And Doug just had those things wound up and powered up with muscle. And I just knew if I could figure out how to merge those two, that it would be really special. And, uh, and Doug just basically, you know, gave me that opportunity. And it was wonderful always to work with Glenn and uh, and Doug, and, and that was just just outstanding, you know, the way that worked. And and um, and then to kind of cap it all off, two or three years later, because of some of my failures in the in the sheep business. At the end of the sheep business, I I didn't elaborate, but it was awfully hard to find people that would work with you in the sheep world as far as like. I offered guys to swap and when we had Caesar and he was one of the top few in the industry, mm -hmm. you know, let me breed six or eight of my, you know, to your buck or, and you can breed them, you know, just any kind of way to try to help, you know, get us an outcross yeah. and up. And I just could not get hardly anybody. Now, if you wanted to drive up to the barn, that'd, that'd sell you stuff. But, you know, you had to, you know, roll the dice and hope that one of those youngsters was really going to yeah. turn out to be the next deal. And so it was so frustrating and so we kind of hit a point in our in the goat industry where we all felt like I used the term chasing our tail, where we were just spinning in circles and and didn't feel like the goats were getting any better because we took them from being a little flat ribbed and 
and plain to being round and real muscular, but they were a little twisty-legged and, and, and not real structurally sound. And then we, you know, we were kind of making some strides on that. Still have quite a bit to go there, in my opinion, mm -hmm. and we're all after it. But that was kind of where we were. And so living in an area pretty close to Jamie Smith with Blue Team and who's one of the industry elites in the goat deal and, and making stork with stork livestock over there. And I just called them both on the phone and said, hey, guys, let's, let's – uh, well, the first time I did that, I worked with Kevin Mock. Mock was – Mock was agreeable to we in our flushes. Kevin let me use a couple of his bucks, and and vice versa. And we both raised. That's that's where we raised our gator buck from. That's where Mock raised that Boudreaux that wound up at Tucker's and that another man's trash that my, Dunn's making some good. Those all were collaborative efforts. And then Kevin sold out, so I sat down with those guys, and um, and just I couldn't believe I didn't have to sell them or or try to convince them of anything, we all just made an agreement that, that in our flushes and AI programs that we would allow each other to use the bucks, no natural breeding, just you know, jump, splash, catch semen, lap AI, whatever. And uh, it's just pretty well been, uh, don't want to be arrogant about it, but if you back up the last 24 years, 24 months, and look at the shows, uh, our three set of genetics have, have uh, picked up 60 70 percent of the trinkets you know oh, pretty much more, it's just stomping them it's just been incredible how how that's worked and besides that you know the first year macon did not get the weathers to, to work but macon raised a couple of bucks that uh that tag team he's got and then he's got that uh, that that one he calls birthday suit that one was a collab with with us and then uh, Jamie's raised a couple of real nice bucks out of our buck, and it's just been a great deal. And besides those weathers that have won, the female, the females that we've got running around on the farm, uh, there is just some fantastic, you know, females. And, and just to have those guys at, at that level, you know, of the industry just openly, we all trusted each other. It went smooth. We agreed that we wouldn't sell billy goats, you know, out of each other's bucks. But we could keep one if we liked it. And if we got one that we're proud of, you know, out of each other's bucks, we'll call each other and say, yeah. hey, stop by and look. And it's just been a great relationship. And everybody's winning. And, I mean, in every way. We're winning shows. We've got bucks. We've got females. And, of course, it's all helped parlay into, you know, all of our doe kids are selling better. And the semen sales are better. It's just been a, a fantastic collaborative effort. And, and um, I mean, just from what I've noticed, in the last few years between you, Macon, and Jamie having weathers out of each other's bucks. Kansas City, grand two years in a row, has been out of Jamie's buck and your stuff. And all the, the, how many Texas majors did you win with, with making stuff this past year? Oh, goodness, yeah. We won Houston and Austin where that's what she said. What 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 a lot don't know is the, the winner, the she said, the, the winner at San Antonio that Macon cloned the wish in one hands, mm -hmm. He bought a doe from me. Those are those are those are she said on, on a shrunk doe. Which I mean, he bought the doe, but straight co collaborate. And really, that's the reason we decided to get with it. The reserve at Denver was also a, a she said on making on the doe, but he bought her from us. And um, trying to think here, uh, the San Antonio was a collaborate with Blue Team last year, and Jamie I think last year had reserve at 
Louisville. He had reserve at Louisville. Uh, Arizona. Won Georgia and Arizona, and those were all collaborates with us. This year, the Houston champion he raised was a collab with us. I mean, just almost all of those. Jamie had a few that won were straight his genetics. Macon had a couple that won. But if you just back up in that whole that whole pile of those was, you know, a collaborative effort yeah. where it was where it was either our dough and, and we buy does from each other. I know Jamie's bought some semen out of she said. And so, you know, just just totally outcross, super super good genetics. And, uh, you know, so Macon likes them real wild and good looking with muscle. Jamie and me like them. Jamie likes them a little more exotic and out mm -hmm. there to me, and I've always kind of been right down the middle of the road. And so kind of to me it just is a perfect storm. And, and uh, it's just been a great – it's just been a great situation yeah. where, you know, we're not having to buy semen. We're not having to go spend, you know, pile on a buck that may or may not work. We're, yeah. we're both – you know, in each year we've we've all had a buck kid or two that's really stepped up and 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 is an integral part of the program and and so it's just been to me what's going to be real neat is when we start getting some of these three quarters like right now they're all just you know total outcrosses, but it's going to kind of be interesting to see where I you know when I've got a, a like I've got a soldier boy buck kid I'm real high on this time and and when. When we breed him, you know, back in there to some of my straight genetics, and he's a quarter, mm -hmm. you know, half mine, and we get a three-quarter shrunk, you know, quarter blue team, I think some of those might be, you know, pretty interesting to yeah. see what that's going to do with us. And the, the level of consistency there for both of us is something that we've marveled at because normally when you just hodgepodge or you just, you know, go completely outside the box – my experience in sheep and goats has been some fantastic animals if you're just visually looking at them. But, you know, some of those flushes you'll get, you know, a third, half of them are just terrible, and some of them are incredible. But we've, we've all, you know, commented or, or be like, you know, just really shocked at how consistent this mm -hmm. has been. Uh, not, not saying perfect whatsoever, but certainly above what we expected as far as not having a whole lot of throwaways. Yeah, you know? I think it's pretty cool, you know, like you said, step back and look at the circle. I mean, you raised, she said, next out of Macon's Buck. Mm -hmm. You see how well he worked at Jamie's stuff with the Louisville champion and the reserve at Arizona. And yeah, one Houston just, with him. Yeah. Uh, uh, two, I think three other division winners yeah. this year at our majors with it's him. Just, there's, a, there's a quote that I like to say sometimes, and it's, you know, we can accomplish so much more together. You know, oh, everyone I agree. gets on separate teams and in their own corners. It's yeah. it gets really competitive, but we all get better when we're well, picking each other's brains well, and all I, that. I, I have probably always had, you know, a different view on all of that. In fact, my father-in-law, when I first started reaching out, not, and I don't, I'm not saying I'm right and he's wrong, um, but but Doug Bean and him both on some of that partnership deal, they were, you know, a, a little bit you know, more protective, probably the right word, than I was. And, you know, my take on it is, is just really simple. And I'm, I'm not trying to, you know, win the election or get you to think like me at all. But to me, there is a there's an incredible market. There's more demand for good animals than there is good animals. So I just never, ever felt like, no matter what, that, that it was going to hurt me financially or, or I was going to lose my spot in the hierarchy or, or whatever. I just never had that fear. Mm -hmm. I, my fear always has been if you don't keep raising good ones, they're going to quit coming. Yeah. And, 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 I, and, I'm, and 
probably overstepping bounds here, but looking back on my observation of 28 years in the industry, I've seen a lot of those guys that kind of put themselves on an island mm -hmm. where they had some really special ones and, and you know, and I don't want to say it was greed. Who, who knows what was in their mind? I don't want to judge. Mm -hmm. But to me, they, they, they just kept themselves on the island. And at some point in time, that good F1 cross that was making all those winners is old and gone. And, and you wind up and you've got too much of a good thing is what I always call F8 it. F8 at that point. Yeah, and, it, and it's trouble. And then if you, don't form, if you hadn't formed and forged some relationships, then where do you go to get what you need? And it's so hard to go do that. And then if you do it a time or two, most of the time, epically, it fails. We've all been through that. Mm -hmm. And so then you're more gun shy than ever to do it. And, if, and, and, I, and I, I saw that, and, um, and I made my mind up that, that, that we probably would screw it up <laughs> and we probably would go broke but that would not be the way <laughs> that we did it, mm -hmm. that I just wasn't going to, to, to let myself go down that path. And fortunately enough, in the GOAT deal for sure, we were able to find, um, you know, a deal. And one, one interesting sheep story that just hit me, uh, you know, everybody's got different philosophy about things happen for a reason. I've shared that, you know, I've been really lucky to be in a few places, and of course, those of you that know me, that we'll, I will turn the rocks over and do the work. But the the last year we were in the sheep business, um, I, I I was always friends with Brian Riley at Impact, and I need to give him the shout out for it. Um, Brian and I, you know, stayed at each other's house. We looked. We always had an appreciation for each other's stock, uh, kind of a similar taste. Um, and Brian was, was, was you know, 100% worked with me. Mm -hmm. And um, I went up and, and picked out, um, he sold me half of his best buck, buck lamb, and he was a special one. And uh, he was, wean, you know, right at weaning age, sheared. I mean, not a little scamp in the jug that, you know, looked like the winner, but a real special one. And, and uh, that guy almost died before I got home on the plane. <laughs> Not Brian, but the lamb, and and three or four days later he was dead, and that to me was kind of the writing on the wall for me to get out of the sheep business. Brian was nice enough, and Brian, I know if you ever listened or heard this, that no doubt about it, if that fella would have stayed and or if I would have came back next year and worked with you on another one, that you know our our sheep program would have you know been better than ever and it would have been great but that that to me was I never told you that or anybody else but when that little guy died and Brian refunded a pile of money to me in full uh, for that purchase and, and that was the right thing to do and I was really glad that he did but that was kind of for me saying you know it's time to move it's mm -hmm. time to that's something I'm always kind of thinking in my head whenever something just horrible happens that just absolutely sucks yeah you know it's it didn't it's not an accident you know if, if that buck of Brian's didn't die you, you wouldn't be raising goats right now, maybe. Oh, for sure. You know, no, I mean, be, we, would, we wouldn't have been at the level because I would have never sold completely out. Yeah. Yeah, and no it, doubt. And it's something that's like, damn, thank, thank God that happened, you know. Yeah. Oh, absolutely. And, you know, we all, we all know that it's, it's in his hands and on his time. And, unfortunately, you know, we'll preach it and, and, and nod our head and amen it. But it's hard to live it and breathe it, you know, and, yeah. and, and, and trust that. And, 
and then but that was that was kind of the that was the end of the end for me in that sheep deal for sure so uh kind of got the whole shrink show goats shrink show lambs and the david garrett life story i, I think is we, we missing anything yeah we're missing a lot that nobody cares about so <laughs> all good <laughs> tell us about your family uh, what do you what do you do find yourself doing you know during quarantine well, I have really considered this just a real blessing. My, my girls are grown now. They're up in their, you know, mid-20s. Both are engaged. And so we've been fortunate enough to, to have them home the bulk of the time. Ashley's job's still good, but she's, uh, she, she's getting paid to not work. And so they're home with us, and, and their fiancés are in. And, and pretty well we've just been, you know, working goats and 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 sitting around the house eating good telling stories and and spending real good family time and it, it's been it's been a real pleasure you know today and yesterday perfect example we washed and clipped close to 50 head and and videoed them and, and took pictures and and thank jake you came and helped us today but you know we, we do this as a family and 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 the girls love it and they don't get to do it as much as they used to but uh you know everybody straps their boots on and makes a hand and and we we, we really enjoyed that and and uh, my wife and i certainly know we've commented daily about you know how precious this opportunity is and that and that we're thankful for it and and i'm not just literally saying that thank goodness we live in rural america and thank goodness we've got a job to go do with animals and and we're passionate about it and love it and and uh so as far as we're concerned it's um it's probably an upgrade for 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 the norm you know and that's for sure. keeping it real yeah i think I, mean, I hear people all the time you know in this situation that we're in they're saying you know this is the worst year of my life this is so horrible i'm like you know it's happening to everybody we're all going through it it's not that bad you know, honestly, it might be one of the better things that's happened to the American family in a while. It seems like a lot of families are being forced to hang out with each other and, you know, work things out and getting closer. Oh, absolutely. And it's a, it's a straight blessing in disguise. And I, I, I hope that, um, that everybody realizes that and cherishes it and, and, um, cause it, it is that. And we're all, self-centered and focused on our own jobs and careers and and um and 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 this is this is definitely a a good thing for sure well uh, david thank you so much for for talking to me and i, I learned a lot about you and I'm, and I'm glad we talked about it it was, it was a good conversation well all good thank i hope you, this sir. works out for you so if thank you didn't you. know See who guys. david garrett was uh before today I hope you have a pretty good uh, understanding of his life and, and everything about him at this point. Uh, we He really got deep with us, and, and I thought that was really cool. Uh, that, that guy is so passionate about what he does, and, and it's not very hard to tell, especially uh, when you get him to start talking about goats. Uh, that guy loves what he does, and, and he loves raising you know, good goats, and, and he definitely loves his family. Uh, that's something really cool about David. and uh, I think what sets him apart, I thought, in that story – where he talked about how you know how early life in high school and college, he was was not a livestock person at all, um, and and how quickly he you know learned to love it. I mean, we all gonna go through the same thing at a certain point in our life. We realize you know this is way cool and, and this livestock thing is awesome, and and we just kind of go 
you know, all the way and, 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 and you know, really hustle at it. But, you know, the, I thought that was really uh, interesting and, and kind of almost unheard of, especially to make it that far into your life. I think he said he was 30 before he started and, and to see how far he came. Uh, it's really impressive. Uh, David's a good guy, a uh, big family man. Uh, loves That guy loves his daughters, uh, if you've ever met him. Uh, he's very into his family and what they got going on over there, and, and he's really – uh, just a fun guy to be around. Definitely loves his stories and, and, and talking about him. And uh, I think back there in, in September it was, I was riding back from the State Fair of Texas with David and his and his wife and his daughter, and he told me that Caesar story, and I was sitting there with my jaw on the floor, and I was like, we need to record this. This needs to be published. This is a great story. And I'm glad he, he started talking about it there. I think that's a, a really cool kind of history point in the, in the livestock and sheep deal. I remember when I was 12 and just kind of really starting to like this whole, you know, club lamb thing. And I remember hearing about Caesar and, and uh, uh, some of his sons uh, and, and, and just how big of a deal that buck was. And, and I had no idea between now and then, now and, and, you know, yeah, now and then, you know, that David, this goat guy, owned him. You know, I didn't even know David raised show lambs until probably about a year or two ago. And, you know, I think it's. It's something that doesn't need to be forgotten, and that's kind of what one of the things I was so excited about uh, when I had the opportunity to do this podcast was, man, we can we can get a lot of these guys that are legends and, and have been in it forever, and we can make we can write a history book about the show lamb and show goat industry with this, and and that's something I'm always excited about when I get to go clip and, and go look at goats at, at some of these guys' places is is the history lessons and stories that I'm going to be exposed to you know during conversation. Uh, it's something that's really exciting for me, and that I love to do, um, but. Hope you guys liked it. That was my first podcast. Uh, we're going to get definitely a bunch more recorded here in the next few weeks and, and try and get some built up. And uh, we're going to do some different segments and, you know, just kind of keep it, um, you know, a little bit different um, than what you've probably heard before and, and trying to expose you to some new things. Uh, we're just kind of starting out the social media for this one. Uh, go ahead and follow us on Instagram if you want. It's uh, Legendary Mindset Pod. And uh, I'll be posting some pictures and and when we update uh, and post new podcasts and, and, and videos and stuff, it'll all go on there. And uh, eventually we'll probably get a Twitter and Facebook page. But uh, for now, just go ahead and uh, like us on Instagram. Thanks, guys.